And here's one of the things, Rachel, people will ask me. Business owners will say, well, how do you all find such motivated people? Or how do you motivate your team? And I tell them, no, no, you, you've got this wrong. We hire motivated people. And so it's it's not my job to keep them motivated. My job is to keep my people moving forward toward the goal. But you, when you find motivated people, it's awesome because they come to work ready to roll. They come to work with their mind clear, understanding what it is you're trying to do. And what it does is it creates a culture of people that have a self-employed mentality. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is the Rise Podcast. Man, I am so excited to have you on the Rise Podcast with us today. Chris Hogan, I've been waiting and dreaming for this one for quite a long time. If uh, if our listeners have never heard of you, if they're living under a rock and they don't know who you are, will you give them a little bit about what you're up to these days, what your sort of journey is into the job that you have today? Sure, absolutely. Well, my name's Chris Hogan. I've been a part of Ramsey Solutions, Dave Ramsey's team, for 14 years. Uh, prior to working with Dave, I was in the banking world. So I've been dealing with money and leadership uh, for over 20 years. And so having an opportunity to have owned my own companies, have gone in, uh, have helped companies with turnarounds, uh, consulting Fortune 100, 200, 500 companies. And so I just have a passion for helping people kind of grow into not only their purpose, but reaching their maximum potential. And so I love talking about money. I love talking about business and leadership. I love coaching people. I love helping people to raise their level of performance so we can raise our level of impact. Mm. I, you know, I love this because not a lot of people would start off by saying, I love talking about money. Uh, that's not <laughs> a very common thing that you hear. And I love, I actually love this conversation because I think that people have some really strong preconceived notions about what money is, what money, it's the root of all evil. It's, you know, all of these things. And I think both you and I feel really passionately that you know, if you have a mission, but the mission requires money. So can you talk yes. about what y'all sort of believe and why you do so much work in the financial field and what freedom that provides to uh, to your community? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we are, we are Christians here and we're a Christian company. And if you think about it, and I was raised, you know, Southern Baptist uh, in Kentucky. And so having spent time uh, in the Christian community, here's the deal. There are over 800 scriptures about money in the Bible, over 800. What that tells us is that there's a lot of lessons to be learned and money can be used in a lot of ways. Uh, money is a tool. It gives us an opportunity to be able to build some things or to repair some things, to be able to allow us to be able to provide not only for ourselves and our families, but more importantly, Rachel, to be able to do things for others. You know, the best thing you could ever do with money is to give, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to be a blessing. And I think that's an amazing opportunity. And if you think about, even in the Bible, you know, you look at this, the Good Samaritan, you know, without money, without resources, the Good Samaritan is just another person. 
He didn't have an opportunity to impact someone's life. Because he did have some resources and did have a plan, he was able to be a blessing to someone that was in need. So for me, I think talking about the topic, helping business owners out there to understand not only are they serving their customers and helping people, but it's okay for them to also win and protect, take, take care of themselves as well as their own families. Why do you think that there is such a stigma about financial success? I know, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Ramsey Company and have followed y'all for years. So I know that you get heat about this as much as I do. Um, why do you feel like that is? You think it's because, you know, people, you didn't grow up with money. And so there's some scarcity mentality around it. Or if maybe if you have it, then I can't. Um, mm. What have y'all experienced? Because this is like your space. So what is your yeah. perception of that? Well, we've experienced all of that. I mean, I think it's real easy, you know, from from a, a comparison standpoint uh, for people that maybe don't understand or haven't taken the steps to be able to win yet or put themselves on the path. It's real easy to tear down or knock down someone else that is as opposed to getting your own act together. And so, you know, I, I think that's always there. The scarcity mentality that you mentioned, I'm glad you said that. Uh, there are two mentalities out there that scare me, Rachel, I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. Scarcity mentality scares me because what that means is, is that people have this mindset that there's not enough to go around. So if someone else is doing well, they're taking away from my opportunity. That's not true. You know, if you look at this, we have billions of people on the planet. We've got people we can serve. We just have to focus. So I don't like the scarcity mentality. There's a lot out there for everybody. People just need to get to work. The other one is victim mentality. Now, this one is the most poisonous. Victim mentality is where you're thinking I, someone else is standing in my way or it's someone else's. I'm blaming someone else that I didn't do X, Y or Z. And I don't that mentality scares me because it prevents us from getting better. Because if you're saying the reason I haven't done anything yet or I've not gotten better is because someone is holding me back or someone else is standing in my way, then you'll be limited in what you're willing to try and how hard you keep pushing. Is there any are there any tactics or advice that you could give if someone's listening to us right now and they're like they are seeing themselves they're hearing themselves in your narrative they're like oh my gosh that's me i absolutely look at other people i look at other people's success i compare myself i really do dislike people who have had you know financial fulfillment because it makes me think there's less for me what are things that you could do to change your mindset surrounding financial success well, I think first and foremost is learn to be an appreciator. Like I'm excited for people that are doing well and someone else doing well doesn't mean that I can't. So I, I, I'm naturally excited for people that are winning, uh, that are doing things that are working hard, that have paid a price and sacrifice and are winning. So I think have an attitude of being an appreciator. Uh, don't let someone else's success cause you to look at inwardly in what you're not doing. Um, I, I think what we have to do is understand we all have different start points. Like when I did the research, we did the largest research ever on millionaires. We talked to over 10,000 of them across the nation. And before I was, as I was writing my book, uh, Everyday Millionaires, how ordinary people built extraordinary wealth and how you can too. I think number one, being an appreciator, it helps us to understand what's possible. And we all have different start points. Some of us have had more advantages than others. Others have had some disadvantages more than others, but we all are running the same race, right? We all get to run this race and to be able to give that effort. And so being an appreciator of people that are doing well, but also being an understander, understanding that regardless of where you come from, 
regardless of where you were born or where you went to school, you have an opportunity to win. You have an opportunity to put yourself on the path and do well. And that's what I found as I did this research. These everyday millionaires, these were people that came from less than nothing. Some of them were homeless at some point in time, but they got consistent and got focused and were willing to sacrifice. So I think if we're an appreciator for people, we're an understander that we can do better, we've got opportunities, we can change the game starting today. I love that. It's so, I mean, we're so aligned in this belief. It's actually one of the things that I got the most backlash for with the success of Girl Us Your Face was I truly believe to my core that anybody can achieve anything if they're willing to work for it. I re- Like if you're yes. willing to work for it, if you're willing to learn from your mistakes, if you keep pushing to level up, like I true, because there is no good reason why I should be in the place that I am today. Just the grace of God and hard work, truly. I like fundamentally believe this to my core. And the backlash came from that. And I don't know if y'all ever get this, but of this idea of like, you're setting people up for disappointment when you tell them that because not everybody has the same resources. Not everybody comes from the same socioeconomic background. And I'm like, I I get that more than most. I grew up on Weed Patch Highway. Like, I get it. I had to work the three jobs. Like, I know what it is to have – like, I know that. So the yeah. – the, I, I hope, man, that anybody who's listening to this today and you're really – whether you believe, I can't remember, is it Ford? Like, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. 100%. That's exactly right. Yeah, that was Earl Nightingale. Thank and you. So, I wasn't even close. I was like, this. Henry Ford. Nope. You're like, nope, not at all. <laughs> That's the exact quote. And here's the reality I think it's important that you are talking about this, that you're talking about the criticism and the hate that you got. I get it as well. Uh, but here's what I want your, your viewers and your listeners to understand. If you're doing something that stands for something, you're gonna get some hate, Mm -hmm. right? If you're pushing against the norm and you're trying to encourage people, uh, there's a percentage of society that needs to be incarcerated, okay? They're crazy. (laughs) I firmly believe that I say it out loud. But I I want you to know, if you're doing something that stands for something, you're gonna get some pushback. Here's what you can't do. And I'm gonna talk about myself, Rachel. Yep. Because I remember my first book came out, Retire Inspired, 2016, I was pumped up, I was excited. The first Amazon reviews kind of come out and I've got 200 of them that are glowing. Amazing investments, but guess what? (laughs) That's not the one you know. (laughs) I had the one. He was John A417, I remember this, okay? (laughs) I shouldn't, but he said my book wasn't worthy of toilet reading. No, oh man. I looked at the screen. I started to call my buddy that works in the FBI to help me find this man. Yes, yes. How dare he say this about me? But I realized, see, that's our human nature. You can have 200 positive things, but we naturally will go toward that one negative. And we can't do that. We can't do that. Nowhere in math does 200 ever get outweighed by one. And what I want to remind your viewers and your listeners about is, yes, you're going to have people that are jealous you're gonna have people that are drinking haterade. That's the drink for haters. You're gonna have people that are against you and, and have an issue. But I want you to stay so focused on the kind. I want you to stay focused on the people you've encouraged. That's why I was talking when I was at your event, which was awesome, by the way. Thank you. Um, talking about the importance of writing thank you notes. Mm-hmm. Like thank you notes show your gratitude and people go back and read those. Yeah. And so I want us to expect 
expect people to be crazy, small percent, mm -hmm. expect some people to be jealous, expect some people to hate. That's okay. Those are all small percentages. But I want you to expect to make an impact by caring for people that need to hear the message and stay pushing forward. Don't ever forget your goal and mission is to impact people and do a positive thing. We're going to have to walk through negatives mm -hmm. to continue to do our positives. Well, I, for me as a business owner, because I know we have so many people who are listening who are small business owners, medium-sized, solopreneurs, kind of starting their own thing, or even working inside of someone else's organization as a leader, the thing today that makes me most excited, I talked about this at conference, the thing literally that gets me out of bed in the morning is I am creating jobs. The, mm. the two things that fundamentally changed my life came from a hard childhood all the all the stuff, right? The two things that right. fundamentally changed my life forever. One was getting healthy. And I mean, getting emotionally, physically, like going to therapy, learning to not abuse alcohol, learning to not have 17 shots of espresso, like literally getting healthy in my body and my mind and my heart. And the second thing was financial independence. Because when I moved out of my parents' house and I had to work three jobs in, in order to support myself, it was the most um, liberating, incredible thing. I was 17 years old, living in a big city. Like, but it was, it was the first time that I got to choose the environment that I was inside of because I had money to support myself. And so right. that is that is my greater mission and will continue to be as I grow and scale this business. And 60 people have jobs because of something that I created. But that That's doesn't, right. we, like, it doesn't get to keep growing. It doesn't get to keep having this impact if you don't make money, if you don't have financial success. It it one you can't have one without the other like we no, right the list of things that we do and i know y'all are the same way how passionate ramsey is about taking care of its employees and all the perks like people work there forever and there when you open up a job you get 10,000 applications can you talk a little bit about that culture of the the employees really are as it should be the heart of the business and sort of how you approach leadership well, I think it's really important. I mean, we understand that we're working here together as a team. Um, you know, we are are pushing 910 team members right now. Uh, when I started, I was like number 130, 140 um, years ago. But the growth of it, I've been excited about to see just because of the, the caliber of people we have working mm -hmm. here. Uh, we have amazing team members and, and people that are very focused and they're motivated. And here's one of the things, Rachel, people will ask me, business owners will say, well, how do you all find such motivated people? Or how do you motivate your team? And I tell them, no, no, you, you've got this wrong. We hire motivated people. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's not my job to keep them motivated. My job is to keep my people moving forward toward the goal. But you, when you find motivated people, it's awesome because they come to work ready to roll. They come to work with their mind clear, understanding what it is you're trying to do. And what it does is it creates a culture of people that have a self-employed mentality. This is one of the things that I wanna encourage your business owners out there to create. A self-employed mentality means that people understand that they, they control their fate. They are, they are plugged in and they are a part of this business and the future of the business relies on their effort and their focus. And when you do that, when you listen to your team members 
and you give them an opportunity to get direct feedback and you're honest, you know, because leaders, most of the time, we, we're not clear on our expectations. Like we have it in our heads of what we want people to do, but if we don't ever verbalize it, you're actually doing your team member a disservice. And so someone needs to know, hey, I'm expecting you to achieve this, this, and this. And this is what we need to happen together as a team. What can I do as a leader to help you do that? How can I help you hit that mark? And so the, the mindset of the leader is I need to empower people by delegating to them, not only the authority, but the responsibility to make things happen. But then as the leader, we need to make sure we're supporting people and giving them the tools they need to make that happen. Can I ask what your definition of servant leadership is? I think my definition of servant leadership is to give others what they need to achieve what they were designed to be. Mm. And I, I say that in as far as I'm wanting to make sure that I'm I'm helping people, right? And especially the people on the team. I, I there it's it's important. Um, just earlier, uh, you know, a lady that's on my team was came up to me and she's talking to me about a puppy she's getting, right? She's about to get a puppy. This puppy has nothing to do with our job. This has nothing to do with what we're doing day in and day out. You know what it has to do with? Relationship. Yeah. And when you're connected to people, you want to know the great things that are going on, the good things, but you also need to know the tough things. And I think the leader that has the most connections, Rachel, to be honest, the leader with the most connections with their team wins. They win because that means the team members trust you enough to talk about things and you want to be available to them to be able to be connected as well. And so it, it's really this different mind shift. I think most people see leadership as I want to be the power person. I'm the run that's in charge. I'm the power woman in charge or the power guy in charge. And reality is, is we need to get rid of that. We need to kind of flip that. See, old school corporate mentality is everything's about the person at the top. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of showing you the triangle. Everything, yes, everything. Yeah. Literally, we did this at your event where we flipped that, where it's about the person at the top making it about everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that takes work because you've got to block ego as a leader. You got to block, you know, your pride and all those things. You've got to be committed to helping your team get better. And that's so you're part coach, part cheerleader, but you're also part pusher, meaning I'm wanting to make sure I'm pushing people to grow forward day in and day out. How do you walk that fine line between, you know, there are people who would hear this and they it's I, I think of it sort of the same way as parenting. Like I don't I care deeply about every single person who works for me. I love them as people. I want the best right. for their life and I'm trying to create a company that allows them the opportunity to have the best possible experience while they're here. But they are not my friends. <laughs> Just like my kids are not my I love them. I care about them. I we're laughing. We're, but I I think of it much more of like, a coaching mentality or a parental capacity in that I, I, man, and I've had people with, you know, who've been with me five, six years, which is long because my company is as old as Ramsey. Um, but right. I really, earlier in my career, I, you know, tried to make everyone my friend because I thought then that would make it easier to manage them. And it actually made right. it worse because then I didn't feel like I could give clear feedback or direction because I was like, oh, I don't want to hurt my friend. So how do you approach that? How do you walk that path of like, I want to be able to lead you well and I want to be able to love you well, but I still have to be the leader of this company, which means that you're going to maybe have to get some tough feedback sometimes. 
Well, well, I think it's one of those, we've all kind of messed up at that at some point, right? Because we've all had a leader or a boss, you know, that you said, okay, I don't ever want to be like that person, right? I want to care for my people. And so we've all made the mistake of maybe caring so much that we still didn't communicate. And I think it's the communication factor, uh, meaning, you know, I've got people here that I hang out with and 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 do things with, and we're we're friends, but we still know there's a business relationship here. Yeah. And so I think it's a matter of us internally setting the ground rules. For example, you know, when you're hanging out, you know, great, we're hanging out, but at work, you want people to understand. I got to put on my 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 leader hat. Yeah. I've got to put on the CEO hat, and when I'm wearing that CEO hat, you need to understand we're not being buddies. I'm being CEO. And if you have mature people working with you that have the ability to not also to put on their leader hat or their worker hat or whatever, then I think it's a whole lot easier for everybody to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. But regardless, I would rather the leader err on the side of being absolutely clear. Like I feel like it's to be unclear is unkind as a leader. Yes. I'll say it again, to be unclear is unkind as a leader. So what we have to do is make sure we're telling people the expectations. Like I'm amazed how people are worried about conflict. Like leaders will avoid it. Like if someone's showing up late, which is one of my pet peeves, right? If you don't talk about it, but you walk around mad about it mm-hmm. and you have silent anger, see silent anger is dangerous for leaders. Oh, it'll eat away at trust and it'll eat away at loyalty because you're gonna retaliate at that person in some way at some point. So as opposed to walking around holding it in and then going home and being mad at your spouse or mad at your kid because you didn't tell this person at work what they need to fix, let's go the other route. You don't have to, listen, conflict can get dealt with without everybody getting mad, right? If someone's late, here's what you do. You bring them in, you sit down, you say, hey, John, you're doing a great job. I love the work you're doing, but you're showing up late and that needs to stop. Because when you show up late, you're saying you don't respect the team and you don't respect me. So I like you. I like your performance. I want you to stay. But I want this late mindset, this this lazy mindset or late thing, that has to go. And I'm being real clear. I want the person. I like the person. This behavior needs to go. Yeah. And I think if we more direct than just that communication and letting people know you get a chance to be clear. You get a chance to be on the same page and John gets a chance to change or not change the behavior, but moving forward, he knows showing up late isn't an option. And so after the second time of talking about it, I'm going to tell John, John, we have talked about this a couple times. You know, I like you, I like your performance, but this is the last conversation I'm going to have with you about being late. Hey, this is it. And so I need you to know this so you can be aware and you can make some changes. See, John comes out of that conversation knowing clearly, right, the deal. I think when you don't do that with people and you hold the grudge or you you end up being retaliating in some other way, it's not being fair. So I want leaders to be more direct. Notice I didn't get all riled up talking to John. I was just clear and direct. I um I was listening to Don Miller's podcast a couple of months ago, and he had a line that I have been saying in my head ever since. And, and it actually was his wife who told him this. She said, "You know, the the conversation you most need to have with someone is the one you're having behind their back." 
And I was like, oh, dang it. That is so good. (laughs) Because he was, right? He was complaining about someone on his staff. And she was like, man, you keep coming home and telling me all these things. Are you telling them? Because they don't even have a chance to fix it if you aren't letting them know. It's exactly what you said. We sort of hold things in and we allow them to fester. Have you, you know, I, and I really want to encourage you, Chris, of course, has a show, Entree Leadership Conferences are some of my favorite things on the planet. It's the event you need to be going to besides my events. Um, But there's so much, there's so many incredible podcasts you can go listen to Chris talk about the topic of leadership. But one thing I haven't heard you speak on a lot because you are, at least my impression of you is you're very positive and optimistic, is um, what do you do when you know it's time to let someone go? When you've tried, Mm. you've had the conversations, and you love them as a person. And because you care about them as a person and you've been, you know, a leader for them, you also know – because I I don't know if – I'm sure guys do this, but I know that for for me and a lot of other of my friends who are female entrepreneurs, this – you're like, oh, but – you know, they have kids and the, the, there's the mortgage and that, you know, all these things that go through your mind, but they are doing work at a level that is now affecting the team. And the team is watching you let this person do substandard work because you care about them as right. a person. Like, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. Well, this is essentially, I would call that sanction incompetence. Um, when you're allowing someone else to hang around who's not ringing the bell of excellence or isn't giving the effort that everyone else is, that has to be addressed frequently and often. Uh, and meaning, you know, having the conversation. More importantly, I want to make sure as a leader that I'm not failing that person. Meaning, am I giving them the tools, the guidance, the mentoring that they need to raise their performance? And am I also leaning in on and pressing in on, on the behavior or the performance that's not where it needs to be? So it needs to be talked about and discussed, and there needs to be some guidance around this individual. Don't just leave them off on their own to just kind of whittle away or just hang out. See, I'm going to address that, and I want to make sure that we're correcting it. I think the reality is is this. What you want to do is always the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So if someone's not performing well, we need to figure out what that is. And I call it, it's one of two things. They're either unable or unwilling, right? Now, the unable means that they don't have the skill set or we need to polish or give them something so they can get better. Someone that's unwilling means now now that that's an effort thing. They're not giving the effort. So when it's time to address these issues, I'm gonna address it and we're gonna talk about it and I'm not gonna let it slide. You know, there are leaders out there, we do what's called a 90-day plan. Mm -hmm. If someone's not performing well, they're on a 90-day plan. We don't give it to them on one day and check in on day 90. No, 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 no. We're giving them that on one on day one, but we're also following up on day three, day five. We're leaning in on it because if someone's unwilling, they, we didn't need to, to take 90 days for us to figure that out. And I've always viewed it as this. If someone's not ringing the bell of excellence uh, here or anywhere else, they need to go somewhere else where they can. Yes. And when you yes. there, they may not have the courage to leave. So we may have to help people find that courage. And I'm going to tell you, I've heard from people that have ended up leaving, whether it was working with me or someone else, and they went and found what they were meant to do or something they were better suited to do, and they're doing well. So I think it's all a matter in us as leaders of being clear, being direct, but also being kind. And when you do that, you give people an opportunity to save face, 
you also have an opportunity to be a generous leader because when you let them go, you did it the right way. And you're not talking about them behind their back and all this. Any conversation is direct with them and they're able to move forward and move on with their life. So I want to ask, uh, first of all, I literally took notes as you were writing because <laughs> I'm like, yes, give me all the wisdom. I want to ask a very specific scenario that I feel like you guys might have some perspective on that we have experienced okay. a lot in the last 18 months. And and because I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs listening, I'm, I'm thinking it might be a, a great one for them too. One of the things that I have encountered most over the last, let's say, five years of, of being a business owner and going from you know, one assistant to 60 employees. And most of that, the predominantly in the last 18 months, so it's just been incredible scaling, is bringing on teammates that are amazing and then the company starts to outpace the place that they're at. And so we're really, in our leadership meetings, we talk about this a lot, that no one sitting at our leadership table, myself included, my husband included, none of us are strong enough leaders for the company that we're going to have a year from now. Like we commit as a leadership team to constantly growing and working on ourselves so that we can be strong enough to carry the responsibility of mm -hmm. what we're building. But how mm -hmm. have y'all approached, uh, have you ever experienced this? Like how do you, do you... I'm bluntly going to ask, like, do you sort of go, okay, like you were incredible for the season that we had you, but now we've kind of outgrown you or we try and put them in a different position or we try and, you know, get you the, the help that you need to level up, but golly, we don't even know the help that we need to level up. Does, is that, is my question making sense to you? No, it does make sense. I, I think it's also as a leader being connected enough with people uh, and really it starts on the front end, Rachel. It starts with hiring the right caliber of people, mm -hmm. right? And so many leaders out there will get in a rush and we look to hire a body. And the next thing you know is, guess what? You got a body just hanging out, taking a paycheck and not really performing. Yes. So I think it starts the front end. The other side of it is, is I need to make sure that I'm clear in my expectations. Uh, meaning we call them KRAs, key results areas. These are the areas people have to focus on in their job and they know exactly how they're gonna be gauged and judged on performance. So again, goes back to clearly defined expectations. But you're gonna have times where you have someone that either A, the company morphs or the position becomes more than what this person is able to do. I always wanna think, what can we do to help this person step it up uh, to do it? Is it uh, education, is it training, is it mentoring, what is it? But once you do that, if you've done those things and this person, there's not another seat on the bus for them, um, or there's not another place and, and you've kind of moved on or they've regressed, whatever it is, I want to be able to go directly into that situation, have the conversations frequently and often. So this person is able to understand, hey, this is the expectation. This is what you need to do. This is what not is not being done. Something's going to have to change. Mm -hmm. Either your performance is going to have to raise up or you may need to move on to something else. The season here may be done. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I would just, as a leader, encourage people to be open, honest, and direct with people, but give them a chance to turn it around. Give them a chance to step it up. And if you, if you do that, then you've treated them like you'd want to be treated. What I don't like are the surprise attacks, right? Yeah. When leaders don't tell someone, and now all of a sudden, within a week, they're totally frustrated with them. Well, that's your fault as a leader, because you were frustrated two months ago. You just didn't verbalize it. 
So let's be open and honest with people and let them know so they can try to turn it around. I'm curious your thoughts on, uh, like I tend to think of servant leadership as approaching, like making it about your team and what's the best for your team over what's best for you. Um, mm. I think of this this company, this is my company, I founded this company, I'm the head of this company, every single thing here is my fault. I really believe that. If something goes wrong, I will own that. Yeah. Because either I didn't give you clear direction or I put someone in a position of authority who made a bad decision, either way it's my fault. So the amount mm -hmm. of times that I'm stepping in as a leader to you know, bring that team around me and say, hey guys, we're I, I'm here I am. We're gonna figure this out together. Uh, the book I always think of is Leaders Eat Last, Simon Sinek. Yes. Of this mm -hmm. idea of like the alpha wolf. The alpha wolf becomes the leader of a wolf pack because it's the strongest. It will defend the rest of the pack against attackers. That is, I, I, I don't know what your, I would love to hear your perception on this, but my thing is, if I am your leader, whether that was back in the day working inside of corporate and you had one person who reported to you or now this company and all of these people, it's all my fault. Uh, because yeah. that is, to me, your team, in order for them to flourish and thrive and do good work, they have to feel safe. And if they yes. think that there's, you know, if they make a mistake or if something happens and the, you know, the world, uh, they're going to be out of a job and what is it? They're, they're, I hate the idea that you would be going through your daily life terrified or anxious about what might happen to you. And like, no, 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 that, that was my fault. Yeah, you did yeah. it, but I allowed you to. So I'm curious what, what your perception on that is. I, I like the fact that you have that mentality. I like the fact that you are taking the responsibility, you're taking the blame, uh, and you're letting your team know that. You see, when you do that, what you're saying is, is that we're in this together. Mm -hmm. And that's true what people want. People want to belong. You know, people have three needs. They want to be appreciated, uh, they want to be recognized, and they want to belong. And so I think you doing that sends a message to the team that, hey, we're in this together. I'm gonna tell you, I've spent a lot of time out in corporate America. There's a name for a leader that takes all the credit, yeah. right? There's a name for a leader that takes all the, the good things and, and they take all the credit. It's called a thief, mm. right? You're stealing away from an opportunity to grow your team and acknowledge your team because you're worried about you getting all the attention. That's, that's ridiculous. As a servant leader, you wanna be the opposite. You wanna give the credit to your team uh, praise them, uh, and you kind of be in behind the scenes, even if you're out front. And I think that communicates that loyalty side. You know, every leader wants loyalty. I don't care what you can, they, they don't know how to mention it all the time, but every leader wants people that are going to be committed to the mission of the business and to have their back. Every leader wants that. Well, guess what? The best way to get that is to be that yes. you to have people you to be able to support people and look out for them, excuse me, uh, and letting them know that they matter to you and, and just doing those things day in and day out. And so I like you, you, what you're doing is you're creating an environment of people that have this we mentality. Mm -hmm. And that thing is huge because they'll go into battle for you. They'll follow you anywhere. Why? Because you've been trustworthy Absolutely. and then you're worthy of trust and they're going to give it in return. What are some of the habits that you have adopted or the rituals that you have adopted that have helped you grow into uh, the leader that you are? I know you talk about this idea of thank you notes. Is it 
do you write, is it three every morning? What's your, what's your habit that you have? I'm writing them each morning morning. Uh, and it just depends on how many I've, you know, run into scenarios. Uh, But I think the attitude of gratitude is big. Um, When I was at Rise, your your all's business function, I told him it's hard to be hateful when you're grateful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That great mentality when you look around, that that's been really crucial. The other side is that I am just grateful for the people that poured into me. Like the people that saw something in this little Kentucky boy uh, and, and had the, uh, the just the belief in me to keep pushing me to help me get better. Uh, so that that's big. Uh, the other side is, is I don't want to let people down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got people that are counting on me or people that maybe need me to help them get to where they need to be. Um, I've, I've got this mindset. I've got three boys uh, and my, my leadership legacy is one day someone bumps into those boys and they say, I knew your dad, or I worked with him, or I heard him speak, and that man pushed me and encouraged me. Um, I think if my boys were to hear that about me, that would just make my heart full. That meant that I was being a coach, that I'm pushing and I'm trying to help as many people as I can with the time I have on this earth. Uh, so I told you at the at the start of our conversation that what is inspiring me today, what makes me hop out of bed at 4.45 in the morning and like hit the ground running is job creation. What's your, what's your thing in this season? What are you jumping out of bed for, excited for as we look into 2020? It's this huge change in time for all of us and feels pretty momentous. Uh, what, what are you excited for? Well, I can tell you this, you know, the year 2020, it's, it's, it's rare that you get that, right? And 2020 typically stands for perfect vision. Mm-hmm. I want to help people perfectly see their potential, whether it's in the financial scope of chasing down their dreams, whether it's them beginning their path to becoming an everyday millionaire so they can live their dreams and have an impact, or even as a leader, I want them to get better and really start to care more, care deeply about the people around you. Help them to reach their potential. So that's what I'm doing on all fronts, on the financial and the leadership front. I want people to see potential clearly. I love that. Uh, If people want to hear more, and of course they do, tell them where they can find you. How do they tune into the show? Where do they find you on social media? Give us all all the juicy details. Sure, sure. Well, you can go to chrishogan360.com. You can find the information there of my social media, and I'm at chrishogan360 on Facebook, Instagram, all the things. But there's also information there about The Chris Hogan Show. Uh, This is a caller-driven show where I take people's calls about life and money and the pursuit of them building wealth. But they'll also find on there, Rachel, the information about both my books. Uh, Retire Inspired, America's Wake Up Call on Retirement is there, but also Everyday Millionaires, so they can learn how they can start building wealth for themselves to impact their family's future. Uh, I will just add to that. I I know I've said it on this. I've actually said it on this show so many times. Um, Entree Leadership is one of my favorite podcasts that exists for entrepreneurs, uh, but the Entree Leadership Summit is one of, I think, the best things that a business owner can go to. And I feel like it's pretty much guaranteed if you go to Entree Leadership Summit, you are going to get to see Chris speak live, which is going to bless you so much. So be sure and check that out as well. Well, thank you. I tell you what, uh, the Entree Summit is a lot of fun. It's really where we dig in on this leadership side of things, and uh, it's a blast. But I have to tell you, I absolutely had a blast with your audience. Uh, Rise Business was on fire. Thank you. Uh, that was great. And, and you pushed me outside of my comfort zone, Rachel. <laughs> I had to do a dance move or two out you there did. when I hit the stage. You did. <laughs> it's, it's good. 
had a lot of fun and listen to me, I've bumped into people that attended the event and they were just talking so much about how you all pour into them. How you are constantly looking to grow people and you're extending your impact and it was an absolute honor. So thank you again for having me. It was an absolute blast to join you on stage. Thank you, brother. I super appreciate that. I'm tickled that the audience got to see you live and now I feel so blessed that they got to hear you on the podcast. So um, thank you. Thank you again.